Till I'm tiptoed you Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm tiptoed you to Usher's halftime show, Beyonce's latest music, and D.A. Fonnie Willis's testimony have in common? Stay tuned to the very end and I'll tell you how it all goes together, at least in my own mind. Hey y'all, hey, it's your girl Tip. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You, the podcast where I share with you all my musings about Black history, Black culture, and Black spirituality. I'm happy to have you here today. I, you know, I want to help us draw the connections between Usher, Beyonce, and Fani, okay? So that's what we're going to set out to do today. We haven't talked since Usher's halftime show. Listen, did you enjoy it? Where Are, are you still rubbing down your knees like I am? <laughs> your girl was in here having a one-woman house party. It took me through a lot of good days. A lot of good days. Usher is the soundtrack for many of our lives and much of my mayhem and foolishness. So I give thanks. I just want to uh, talk a little bit about the Easter eggs in it, right? So he comes uh, out, and I know there had been some uh, downright bets about what song he was going to sing first, but I think what's less important than uh, what's more important than the song he chose was the part of the song he chose. Let me say it that way. He said, I've been doing this thing my way for years. Okay, so that's extremely powerful to start there. Now, let me rewind a little bit before I get into this. Anyone who knows me knows that I kind of swore off the NFL when when the Kaepernick blackballing occurred. And I, I I don't I still don't watch unless the family has it on and I'm I'm kinda in the room with them. I'll still have a book out so that I'm not as engaged in the TV as I, I wanna be. Um but I just I can't give my attention to the league like I used to. And so I did not watch the Super Bowl um number one because who who wanted to see that one? Um <laughs> I didn't watch the Super Bowl. Um, I just tuned in. I had my sister call and tell me when it was time to turn the TV on. So I just t- turned tuned into um, halftime. Now, many of you know that although I'm a huge Jay-Z fan, I was upset when he entered the deal with the NFL to produce the halftime shows and things like that. I thought he was being an incredible sellout. I still am not completely over that. Um, but I know a lot of of black folk have moved on. Unfortunately, I think our memories are too short sometimes, but, you know, a lot of people have moved on. They had the Super Bowl parties and whatnot. And because, again, Usher is the soundtrack for much of my mayhem and foolishness, I did turn in, tune in for halftime. Now, I, I, so in my giving you these Easter eggs, I'm going to end up with the one I learned about later that really um, made me respect him all the more. Okay. So the first thing is when he came out dressed. Now, some of y'all have been clowning uh, Usher Raymond's clothing for, you know, the, the the sparkly Liberace type brooch and white suit and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to remind you, some of you may remember he used to wear an E-Day. OK, he, he's affiliated with Cuban Lukumi. So all white, Obatala. 
That means that to me, it was a symbol of it was a signal to think deeply about what you're about to see. All right. That it's not going to be superficial, that it's going to be intellectual. um, And I enjoyed that it was all white. Okay, so he came out. I also want you to remember that it was very much reminiscent of the cut of the suit Prince wore during his halftime. All right. So that was the first to me. Uh, Easter egg was the the um, homage to Prince's halftime show. And then he had on the glove. We know who that is. Right. We know who that is. Now, when he was um, with the Kappas, there was one point where they were shimmying and we kind of thought, OK, he's not going to shimmy with them because he's not a Kappa, which is, you know, that's the superficial thinking. But then if you paid attention to the pose he struck, it was reminiscent of Marvin Gaye. All right. Now, remember, he opens with the lyric, I've been doing this shit my way for years. OK, now, mm, do you hear what I'm saying? So homage to Prince, homage to Michael Jackson, homage to Marvin Gaye. I, we've been doing this shit our way for years. OK, and then he's got the HBCU band. We've been doing this shit our way for years. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Then he's got the skaters come out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Y'all, y'all getting it now? Y'all getting it now? He's got the skaters come out. Now, let me tell you where I got the chills when he said I brought the A to the I, wor- I brought the world to the A. I brought the world to that. Because anyone who lived in the A at any period of time should have had to show enough chills in that moment. I was hollering like a schoolgirl when Luda came out. <laughs> when the skaters came out, y'all, it was so Atlanta. It was so Atlanta. I was, I was in here grinning like a Cheshire cat. I was grinning like a Cheshire cat. Now, we've been doing this our way for years. Oh, also don't forget the clock. So when he said, where is Usher Raymond? It's seven o'clock. Did you see him make the seven? Okay, did y'all pay attention to the stage in that moment that he made the seven? Did you pay attention to the empty drum set to give homage to his um, drummer that has passed, has transitioned? See, I told you you got to pay attention. Obatala is a thinker, right? You got to pay attention. And now I'm not saying for those of you who practice Lukumi, let me give the side note. I'm not saying Usher Raymond is a devotee of Lukumi, nor am I saying that he is a child of Obatala. Okay, I am saying white to me, signifies Obatala, which then signifies deep thinking. All right. You want to argue about that? We can do that. But I'm just saying that's what I got from it. Now, here's the most important Easter egg for me from halftime. And this is where I'm going to start trying to draw together the answer to my first question to you. So we saw him with the Kappas on stage. And listen, baby, if you are like me, your text messages were going off. Did he pledge? Is he? Is he noop? What? What's going on with Usher? And then somebody hit me to what we all were overlooking in that moment. If you had, if you want to go back to YouTube and watch just that clip, look at how the three of them ended up on their knee. And I'm going to remind you, who do we know that's a Kappa? Colin Kaepernick. Y'all, Usher not only danced his ass off, 
performed his ass off. Y'all know how I feel about intellectualism. He became so much sexier to me. <laughs> Y'all know I'm a Marvel girl. I love the Easter eggs. And it is, I, listen, I have to keep watching the performance because I know there's some other stuff in there that I'm missing. I, I know it's other stuff in there that I'm missing. The red and white, because remember, Alicia Keys got on the red, the red and white for Shango and Justice. Oh, I've been doing this shit my way for years. Okay. All right. All right. So that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. So think about that as we go through so I can get to my answer to the original question. Then we had our girl Beyonce. And I know some of y'all are saying she tried to upstage Usher. That's not what I think it is. I think they were tying together what I'm about to try to tie together. All right. Beyonce announced new music. And shot up to spots one and two on the country billboards. Black woman, spot one and two on the country billboard. (laughs) I love it. I love it. 16 carriages in Texas hold them. Bunch of y'all trying to find some cowboy boots and cowboy hats right now. And I ain't mad at you. I am not mad at you. In fact, if you've ever heard me talk about my uncle, Uncle Snap, my Uncle Snap lived in Brooklyn. But like the rest of his, uh, <laughs> it was nine of them, nine brothers and sisters, grew up in Dirt Road, Alabama. All right. Cotty, Alabama. My Uncle Snap was a, the original black cowboy. I swear he was. He used to, I don't care where you saw him. I don't care when you saw him. My Uncle Snap had on some boots, some jeans, a big silver cowboy belt with a turquoise stone, some type of either white and black or red and black plaid shirt, and a handkerchief child around his neck along with his black cowboy hat. Number one, if you know anything about the trickster, he was my very own issue. <laughs> I told you he only wore red and black and white and black. And he was, just, if you knew him, you knew him to be a trickster. I, I know without any reading, he had to be, well, he was a child of the crossroads. I do know that. I'll tell you that story if, I, if you haven't heard it another day. But I am tickled because I know my uncle would be having a ball right now. My uncle also played the guitar and carried a guitar with him pretty much everywhere he went. And so I know he would be very proud in this moment about Beyonce and what she's doing for black music in this moment. She's reclaiming things, right? So she's saying this is act two. So act one, she reclaimed house music. She put it back where it belonged, which was firmly in the hands of black youth. And now look what she's doing with country music with just two singles. And... She used a black woman string artist to play the banjo on the first thing. Listen, that's how you're supposed to do it. If I eat, we all eat. And if I'm trying to expose you or reclaim music, I'm going to use the people who never left it. Oh, boy, y'all don't know how good I feel about it. You don't know how good I feel about it. Now, I've not always been a Beyonce fan, but she has won me over lately. Um... She redefined house music and now she's redefining country. And I want you to look at the reactions to it. It's interesting. And it's another hint for the answer for this week's question. Then I want to talk about D.A. Fonnie Willis. Listen, it's interesting to me. And, and maybe this needs to be the subject of, a, of its whole 
its own episode of the podcast, right? Um, I'm watching my timelines on social media and it's divided, right? Men seem to be much more critical of her testimony and a whole bunch of black women who I think are marginally pick me's. <laughs> I'm sorry if that offends you, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you how I feel about it. If, if you've been uh, criticizing Mama Fani. I, I, and I, I can't call her Mama Fani because we about the same age. Um, but I, you know what I loved about her, her, um, her time on the stand? That she helped redefine professionalism for black women my age. Right. Which is which is why it made a lot of people uncomfortable. So I'm I'm probably going to spend a little bit more time on this one that I did on the Easter eggs or the reclamation of country music. Listen. If you listen to the podcast, not the last one, but the one before that, I talked about how. Um, the GOP's main strategy, the right wing strategy right now is misdirection. Right. And we become so distracted by saying, hey. To to what they're saying, rather than what the reality is, we become distracted by what they're saying rather than dealing with the reality. And right now, I think some of you who are critical of Fannie Willis in this moment are being distracted Right. By this. Um, th- these ethics complaints. Right. Because you've fallen into the, the trap of having conversations about her dating life, having conversations about money. That's not what y'all please remember who's on trial and for what. Right. We were talking about stealing an election. That's that's what that's what the charge was. <laughs> That's really that's still the case. That's still the charge on the table. Right. She is not a defendant in a case. I want to I want to point that out that we have if we're talking about whether or not she should have been dating um, someone. <laughs> they have won the game. Because the game was to take you off of what the real issue was. You're debating something that has nothing to do with with the trial at all. And I want you to pay attention to how smoothly they took you into community debates about something that ain't got to be none of your business. Right. We all, if those of us who live in Georgia, we know he tried to steal the election. They got it on tape. But now you worried about what Fanny got on and how she was pointing her finger, how she had her hand on the hip. That's what you're talking about. You're not talking about the case anymore. So I want you to pay attention to how patterns work. That's part of the reason why I do this podcast, so that if you missed it, I want to be able to say, hey, y'all pay attention now. The, the game is to keep you from thinking about the real thing. And some of you are now off task because you're not thinking about the real. Y'all are having debates about whether or not she should have been dating someone in her office. That's not what the case was about. The case is about stealing an election. So allow yourself to be pulled back. All right. So that's the first thing I want to say about D.A. Fonnie Willis. The second thing I want to say is um, what a colleague of mine, Kimberly Burgess, said the other day. Honey, her daddy is every black daddy I know. (laughs) And I love it. I love it. But what I love the most about both what he said and what she said on the stand is that they normalize black culture. We know what it is, right? 
those of us who grew up in a certain generation, I'm 50. My father taught me to keep cash money on my person. My grandmother taught me to have cash money on my person. My grandma was so old school, she used to tell me to pin it to my slip. Now, I don't even own a slip anymore. <laughs> but the, the, the sentiment was the same, that it is the world is not safe for a single black woman. And so you have to always have provisions to take care of yourself within arm's reach. Right. They normalized black culture. Now, I shouldn't have to explain that to anybody. She should not have had to explain to anyone why she keeps cash on hand. But for many of us, it was a signal that no matter how far we go, what kind of job or title we have, what kind of income or access to cash we have, we still live in the same life. And so whether you can have two hundred dollars cash on you or twenty dollars cash on you, it's the same. The reason is still the same, that we keep cash money on us. Now, some of us had to have a wake-up call. I had got a little lax. I had $10 cash in my wallet, and I know my daddy would have had a fit. So it was a gentle reminder for me to put my... Now, don't y'all try to run up on me. I keep cash and some other things, too, okay? I'm just saying. Keeping cash where we lay our heads. Every black grandparent I know, and if you missed it and you sold a house, I bet you... Go to your grandma's house. It's a it's a stash somewhere. And I'm not talking about in no normal hiding places like under the mattress. I remember when my grandmother was getting older. <sighs> I get sentimental whenever I think about that lady. Um, I remember when she was getting older, she actually took me into her bedroom. Got on her hands and knees. And showed me where her stash was. See, Fani's testimony helped show us that some of the things that we thought were outdated are still survival techniques that have usefulness. All right. So some of you stopped hiding that money. And you needed her daddy to remind you. Why it's important as a black person to have money at your disposal. Where you lay your head, as she said. Now, the other thing I loved about my uh, Fani, one, that she marched up in there and put her hand on her hip. Standing on a kimbo is a very African thing. Study it, look it up. I'm not going there. But her defiance, Right? In the face of what we should recognize as someone trying to take her off her square. Listen, she showed us how to deal with distraction. You know what? She said, let me remind you, I'm not on trial. Y'all remember that? I'm not. You can try to play that game. But she spoke truth. Listen, I'm not the one on trial. And you digging into my personal life. It's inappropriate. Some of y'all are at work letting people <laughs> be inappropriate and you biting your tongue for what? They still going to treat you like a nigga. Do you understand? When that man got loud and aggressive with her and she said, you don't have to yell at me. Some of y'all wouldn't do that. You might go to HR. You might write a nice, 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 nasty email. 
But would you have the strength to say to something, well, you're not going to talk to me like that? Oh, boy. Fani was a master class. She was a master class in what it means to date in the in your 50s. Like, I don't know some of these men, some of these women talking about she should not have dated someone in her office. I don't think y'all know how slim the pickings is out here. Do y'all know how slim the pickings are for for professional black women of a certain income level? Okay. We also, I think it was a master class in for young girls that having a man is not a plan. That's also a master class for these young men who are being um, led astray by these podcast brothers who want to paint us all as gold diggers. A man ain't never been my plan. Because just like Fani, my daddy, (laughs) he still takes good care of his daughters, okay? So a man doesn't have to be part of my plan. A man should not be part of the plan. And I think, again, just as with the keeping um, money on you, that's normal in black culture for many of us to be raised not to have to depend on other people. That was, that's the whole thing about keeping the money is that you have to be self-sufficient. As a black woman, we are not taught to go out and get the ring by spring. <laughs> Y'all, that's a real saying. As some of these PWIs get the ring by spring. That's not really something we do. So despite what some of these podcast brothers will tell you, a man ain't a plan. And Fonnie Willis reminded us of that. And I'm so happy she did. The other thing that I think Fonnie does that is just a powerful thing. If you know your stuff. Let, let me say this. There are points in that time, in her time on the stand, where it is clear to me everybody in the courtroom is deferring to her expertise. Did y'all see that? There are a couple of different times where even the judge is deferring to her expertise, where, where he may have sustained her team's objection. And then she says, no, 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 I can answer that. And she does. Right. You don't you don't go into spaces as she entered that courtroom on that day unless you know your sugar honey iced tea. All right. When you know your stuff, when you have mastered your craft, you are able to negotiate the room in a way that you may be afraid to otherwise. I want to have that kind of confidence in all areas of my life, but that's how I feel about education. Like you can do a lot. You can shake me on a lot of stuff. When it comes to teaching and theories that related thereof, related thereto, no, you're not going to shake me, baby. Mm -mm. And I command the room when I enter it. Right. That's what happens is she was a master class in that, that when you know your stuff, you can stand on it differently. Some of y'all trying to stand on a foundation that's not sound because you have not done the work. Fonnie Willis understood. She understands the law. She understands what she can say, what she can't say, why she can say it, why she can't say it. It's obvious that her team was prepped. Listen, when you are when you have done the work. You get to move and talk differently. You get to control the setting. 
So let me get to what I think is the answer to the question I asked you. Now, the question I asked is what do Usher's halftime show, Beyonce's latest music, and Fannie Willis's testimony have in common? Listen, all of them help us step outside of the master script. Here's what I mean by that. For black people living in the United States, for black people anywhere, hell, but I'm going to speak to my experiences. For black people living in the United States, there has been a master narrative constructed, not by us, but by others, about who we are, what we are, and what we have the potential to be. And in each one of these cases, Usher's Halftime, Beyonce's New Music, Fonnie Willis's Testimony, we see people stepping outside of the master script, not only by themselves, but for the people. We see a reclamation of the ability to define oneself. Do you hear what I'm saying? Usher says, I, uh, listen, I don't care how y'all do halftime. We've been doing it this way. This is how we do halftime. And I can honor all of my heroes while I do it. Not your heroes, my heroes. I'm even going to honor somebody that you don't even want me to reference. Who you don't want in your stadiums anymore. I'm going to honor him in a way that you can't even see. Do you hear what I, that's a reclamation and there is power in the ability to define one's own reality. In fact, I, I've said it before. Let me say it again. Wade Noble says power is the ability to define reality, and have other people believe that that definition is real. All right. There is power in reclaiming your stuff. That's what Usher Raymond did. When Beyonce has a black woman playing an instrument with roots in West Africa to open up a song to a genre that black folk created and was since appropriated. That's reclamation of her stuff, of our stuff. Our cultural legacy is being reclaimed. And I want you to look at how white folk are reacting to it and it ain't even their stuff. This is listen, there's another side note here about how appropriation works. Imagine you going into your grandmother's closet and finding out that the quilt she made has been stolen. And you look across the street and your white neighbor has the quilt. They put it on the line to dry. You see your quilt, so you go over there and take it off the line, bring it back in your house, and they call the law on you and tell you that you're stealing their stuff. That's what they're trying to do to Beyonce, y'all. This is our stuff. And then you got whole radio stations talking about, I'm not going to play it. Because what? It's her. That's her ancestral legacy. There is something def beautifully defiant about reclaiming something that has been appropriated from your people. There's a strength and the ability to say, this is my shit. And I'm going to rock it how I want to. See, some of you are uncomfortable because you would be uncomfortable doing that. 
Fonnie Willis, she shows us that respectability doesn't have to show up a certain kind of way. Her respectability shows up in her knowledge of her stuff. She doesn't have to kowtow to the white men in the room just because they get aggressive and loud with her. You don't have to. She does not have to dance around the stereotype of the angry black woman because guess what? She has a right to be angry. (laughs) So I'm not going to let you manipulate my emotions because you've made me afraid of a stereotype you created. I'm reclaiming my power and I'm writing my own story. Today is February 18th. Audre Lorde and Toni Morrison. We write our own realities. I reclaim my story. I tell it my way with my characters and my ending. You don't get to tell me how this ends. You don't get to tell me what belongs in what chapter. It's my story. There's a reclamation. That's what these three things have in common. There's a reclamation of power and the ability to self-define. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I want to just... I want you to think about this. What is our story? I think Usher told some of it. I think Beyonce is trying to tell some of it. I think Fonnie and her father are telling us some of it. What is our story? What do we want our story to be? Who gets to write it? Who has the authority to speak on our behalf if it's not us? Who has the right to tell us how that story is released, how it's recorded? Hmm. I want you to think about those things. And if you've subscribed to the newsletter, I want you to think about (laughs) when you get that email tomorrow, I want you to think about this episode when you read it. All right. Because again, what's your story? Who gets to write it and who has the rights to release it? All right. I want to thank you for joining me for this week's episode. I have to hope that you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Tell them to told you.